Father, we praise you. Lord Jesus, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we praise you. Our triune God, three in one, we praise you. Father, we pray now as we continue in an attitude of worship that you would teach us through the power of your Holy Spirit from your word, that it would be for our good and for your glory. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. It is amazing to think about throughout history and throughout the world today how many people will speak audibly to a so-called God that has been fashioned by the hands of a person. I'm speaking of some graven image. And they speak to that handcrafted image as though it could somehow hear them. It reminds us of what happened with Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3. Nebuchadnezzar erects a 90-foot tall gold image. 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide, and command the people to come and worship this image. And if you don't know about that, go into your Bibles later and read about it, because there is great things that happened around that, and great things God showed Nebuchadnezzar by worshiping that false idol. But unfortunately, his son, Belshazzar, did not learn much from his father's mistakes. And by Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar is throwing a party for a thousand people. And in that party, as they were drinking, he asks for the vessels of gold and silver that his dad had taken from the temple of God be brought there so they could drink out of those vessels of gold and silver. And so they do just that, but as they begin to drink from these vessels of gold, we read in the scripture, they begin to praise those gods of the vessels of the gold and silver and iron and so forth. Absolute foolishness. To the point where I'm fast forwarding through the story, but David then, excuse me, Daniel then gets to come and rebuke them about what they have done that they are praising these so-called gods, which Daniel says, which do, not see or, which do not see or hear or know, and they're praising them rather than the God who gives them the very breath to give praise. It seems like absolute foolishness to worship an object that does not hear while ignoring the one true God that has created them. There is a one true God who is in heaven, the creator of heaven and earth, and he hears his people when they call out to him. That is a wonderfully comforting thing that God hears his people. It also, if you think about it for a moment, should cause stretch marks on your brain. God hears his people. Listen to the way the psalmist put it in Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, 
Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. Why? Because he's a God who hears. And I need to start this morning that if you are here this morning and you have not repented and trusted in Jesus Christ, the first prayer that God is to hear from your lips is a plea for mercy. Because you, like everyone else in this room, have sinned against a holy and righteous God and are in need of his mercy. The same way that the psalmist cried out, a plea of mercy, that as the psalmist cried out for that mercy, you too shall receive mercy. It is encouraged for you to repent, to trust the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for eternal life and have access to his throne of grace where you can come in a time of need. This morning, if you're a note taker, the title of the sermon is The God Who Hears. We'll be studying this morning Ephesians chapter 6, verses 18 through 20. However, as we have done the last couple of weeks, we're going to read it in context. So if you have your Bibles this morning, and I hope you do, if you'd open up to Ephesians chapter 6. And once you open up to Ephesians chapter 6, if you were able this morning, if you could stand and rise to your feet to honor the public reading of God's word together. Ephesians chapter 6, I'll be reading from verse 10 this morning, all the way through verse 20. Ephesians 6, starting in verse 10, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak." So it reads God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Please be seated this morning. As I mentioned this morning, we'll be focusing on just the latter portion of that text, verses 18 through 20, where we learn the way that we are to appropriate God's strength and his armor. While this morning our text is clear that it is a call to pray, God has opened his ears to his people from the opening pages of Scripture. Think back from the fall in the garden in chapter 3. On to chapter 4, we read 
that at the birth of the grandson of Adam and Eve, Enosh, that the people began to call upon the name of the Lord. That was a long time ago. And then in chapters 12 and 13 of Genesis, we learn that Abram called on the name of the Lord. And then throughout the Old Testament, the prophets again and again and again called on the name of the Lord. To pray is to simply to ask God to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It is to ask God to keep his promises of which he surely will do. To pray is to admit our weaknesses, to admit our inability. It is appealing to his power, appealing to his strength. Now, if you were paying attention as we read earlier, that should sound familiar. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. As Paul wraps up this final charge to the Ephesians, he focuses on praying. This is the key part here. If we miss this part, we miss the rest of it. Here is the application this morning. Listen, we cannot be strong in the Lord unless we pray. We cannot stand firm against the devil unless we pray. We cannot be armed up with the full armor of God unless we pray. We can't fight this spiritual battle that we read about. We cannot do it in our strength or our wisdom. We must pray. I'm tempted to stop the sermon and just have a time of prayer. Even in prayer meetings, we often talk and not pray. The call is to pray, that we must pray. It's the reality that Paul wraps up here at the end of Ephesians 6, that all that he's talked about must be through prayer. It cannot be done on our own apart from the Lord. It must be through prayer. Paul has demonstrated this in writing to the Ephesians. If you would turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 1, the first time he demonstrates praying for them in Ephesians chapter 1. We read in the very beginning of this letter, Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15, Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, 
that he worked in Christ Jesus when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Did you notice the theme of the way Paul prayed for them? No doubt Paul was aware of some infirmities amongst the church, some illnesses that ran through the church, some pains and aches. But where did he focus his prayer? That they might know God and they might know his power. His prayer was a spiritual prayer the way that he prayed for them. And he starts off this way and says, I am continually praying for you in this manner. He continues, flip over to chapter three, we see he mentions prayer again and the way that he prays, that they would be strong in the Lord. Look at Ephesians chapter three, verses 14 through 21. Starting in verse 14, he writes, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, listen, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What we have here in this letter is Paul at the very end says, look, here's what it's about. We must be a people who pray. That's how we're going to appropriate the full armor of God, the panoply of God but he's also modeled it of how are we to pray? We're to pray for, to be strengthened in the Lord. We're to pray that we would know the Lord more. We pray for wisdom. And Paul models all this in this prayer that we must call upon God and that he would empower us to fulfill his will. Now we see in chapters four through six, all of these commands of how we're to be living rightly before the Lord. Paul says here, pray. This cannot be done unless you seek him and his power. In order for us to live a life worthy of the cross, we must depend, listen to this word, fully on the Lord. Not partially, not I got it a little bit, but I need a little bit of God's help. I need to come humbly before him that I don't have this. God, I need your help. He speaks in this context of chapter six of this cosmic war, this spiritual warfare that's going on. How are we to stand against that? He makes it very clear in that opening prayer in chapter one that Christ has dominion over all those rulers and powers. So we're to come to him for his strength for his ability to stand 
firm. If you want to stand firm in the battle, you must pray. Seek the Lord. James Montgomery Boyce said this. He said, quote, The weakest Christian can at any period of his life, at any moment of the day, and in any circumstance, cry out to God for help and instantly have the resources of the infinite sovereign God at his disposal, end quote. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? Because I would say if we did believe that, guess what? We would be a people of prayer. To instantly have the fullness of Christ and all of his resources, his strength, his power, his ability to stand firm against everything that comes at us. Pray. Pray. In, in verse 18 in Ephesians 6, Paul uses the word all, A-L-L, -L, all. He uses it four times in that one verse, reinforcing his point that prayer is vital in the believer's life. The only way we could be living in a manner that is victorious in Christ in this life is to be devoted to prayer. Why don't you think about that word devoted to prayer? How would you define your own prayer life? Better yet, how would the people in your family or in your home define your prayer life? What do they know of your prayer life? Now you say, well, aren't you supposed to go in your closet and pray in private that only the Father knows? Yes, that's true. But do they know that? That you've gone in private and prayed? That you're seeking the Lord? Or do what they know is that if there's food on the table, that's the time of prayer. That when there's food, then we give thanks. Because that's not necessarily what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about a complete dependency on the Lord at all times. That we're devoted to prayer. We see that in the early church. As the gospel went out and God drew people to faith, we saw those believers were devoted to prayer. Over and over again, we see in the book of Acts, they devoted themselves to prayer. I would say, if we looked at ourselves in the mirror, many of us would be challenged with that word devoted, to be fully committed to, to invest time, to be purposeful, to be intentional, to be prayerful, to seek God. Rather, I would say the conviction for many of us is, rather than intentional, it becomes flippant, or it's an afterthought. The idea here is the resources of heaven are available for God's children. Come and get them. Seek them continually. Look with me again in our text this morning, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18 through 20. Paul writes here, praying at all times in the spirit with all power and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also, Paul writes, for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, 
that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. As you look at that, what Paul wrote there about prayer, we could simply say he's commanding us to pray, and I agree with that. But if you look at it more intentionally, we actually see seven different points of prayer that he speaks of here. We see he's speaking of we need to pray at all times. He says you need to pray in the Spirit. He speaks of praying generally and specifically, about praying to be alert, about praying persistently. He speaks of praying for other believers. And he speaks of praying for a bold proclamation of the gospel. Let's go through those together. First thing we see is he says, pray at all times. I want you to think about that. Pray at all times. To be in a, a continual state of prayer because we are in desperate need of God all the time. Now some of you say, are we? Are we in a desperate need of God all the time? Nod your head for me if you think you're in desperate need of God all the time. See, you're in church and you know the right answer because it's Sunday morning, you're in church, and yes, that's why we're here. We're in desperate need of God. But what about when we leave these doors? Are you still in desperate need of God? Yeah. And to pray at all times means staying in that attitude that I am in desperate need of him at all times. It does not mean this, parents, that when you go in the car and you start driving and say, kids, pray for me as I close my eyes and drive as I pray because I need to be praying at all times. It means I need to be aware at all times that I need his strength. I need to be aware at all times that I need his wisdom. I need to be aware at all times that I need his comfort. I need to be aware that the enemy can strike at any time. And so I need to be in continual communion with God. What does it mean to pray at all times? I mean, Paul would say, pray without ceasing. Like, what does that look like? Uh, how does that happen in our lives? How many of you wake up, don't raise your hand or shout it out, but how many of you wake up in the morning, open your eyes, just say, good morning, Lord. Just start a, the communion with, with God. Or pray as you're rushing out of the house and you're like, Lord, help. I need to get there at a certain time and, and, and I'm running a little bit late. Could you help with that? And then you hit the first red light and you're like, okay, God. <laughs> I know you're going to help. And you go and you hit the next light and then you're like, okay, I got. Until if you stay in communion with God, you know what ends up happening? God, you're sovereign. God, you're in control of all this. To continually be in communion with God is to continue trust upon him that his will will be done. Think about how much less anxiety we will have if we just continually wait upon him and continually commune with him. Martin Lloyd-Jones said this. He said, the armor which is provided for us by God cannot be used except in fellowship and communion with God. And so we're commanded to pray, to seek him, to pray in a sense without ceasing, where he is continually on our mind. It doesn't mean we stop and pray throughout the day and do nothing else except pray. Although if you have time, commit yourself to prayer. But as we have other responsibilities, it means he is on the forefront of your mind, that you are communing with him as you go about your business. John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, quote, to pray at all times is to live in continual God consciousness. 
where everything we see and experience becomes a kind of prayer, lived in deep awareness of and surrender to our Heavenly Father, end quote. I don't know if you're like me, but my mind is quick to wander. Have you ever prayed and asked God for help and immediately your mind wanders and you're out doing your own thing right after that? This is the idea to pray at all times. Don't leave that. Don't think, oh, I said a prayer and now all is good and go do it. But continue communing with God. Communion means conversing, keeping him on the forefront that I need you at every moment. And so we're to pray at all times, but not only pray at all times, Paul says here, praying all times in the spirit. What does that mean? I could start by telling you what it does not mean. It does not mean you're going to start speaking in some weird dialect. That there's some type of tongue that is going to come out and that means you are speaking or praying in the spirit. This is not what is meant here. Paul is speaking of being led by, being guided by, being empowered by the spirit. The, 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 the difference is in the flesh or in the spirit. And if you're a believer here this morning... That's what we continue to battle, flesh and spirit. He is saying, pray in the spirit. In Romans 8, he even speaks about the Holy Spirit that would intercede on our behalf in prayer when we don't even know how to pray, to help guide us to the will of God, to live in the spirit, to pray in the spirit, is to desire to please Christ above all else. Again, just assessing our own prayer lives. Is that how we come before God? Is God, I need help. Because my greatest pursuit, my greatest desire is to bring you honor and glory in all that I do, and I need help. Or is it, I want this, I want that. I need you to act on this, I need you to act on that. Because here's the thing, to pray in the spirit is to pray in accordance with his will. And what we know about God is if we pray according to his will, guess what? He absolutely answers it. There's confidence that he will answer it. But we are fickle people. And at one time we're saying, Lord, I want your will to be done. And the very next moment, if you're anything like me, my heart and my mind races back to something else. And there are selfish desires just waiting there. Oh, how I want those. And yet the spirit of God, to pray in the spirit, is to seek him and his holiness and his goodness and his will. Spurgeon put it this way. Spurgeon said, quote, we feel how easy it is to bow our heads and cover our faces. And yet our thoughts may be all astray. Our minds may be wandering hither and yon so that there can be no real prayer at all. Come, Holy Spirit, help us feel that we are in the immediate presence of God. May this thought lead us to sincere, earnest petitioning, end quote. Spurgeon is pointing out prayer is vital, which by the way, Spurgeon understood this and his church practiced it. Many people will, will proclaim that Spurgeon was the prince of preachers, which I will argue that Jesus was the prince of preachers. But in any case, he is labeled as the prince of preachers. 
Do you have any idea what was going on every time Spurgeon got in the pulpit? Anybody know? Hundreds of people in his church were gathered downstairs, what was called the boiler room, and they were praying. They were praying that the word of God would go out in power, that it would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when we read of Spurgeon speaking about prayer, he understood it and his church committed to it, that they knew prayer was vital. But prayer must be, as Paul points out, in the spirit, because that's where real prayer exists. In the spirit means it's aligning with God's will. It's focused on the glory of God, the goodness of God. We read in 1 John chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, about the confidence we can have when we pray according to God's will. 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, I write these things, John writes, uh, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Listen, he writes this. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. To pray in the Spirit to pray according to God's will, to come before him with confidence that God will answer this. We have read over and over the last few weeks to be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Guess whose will that is? That is his will and our will needs to be aligned with that, that I need his strength, that I can't do this on my own at all. I need him. So what does it mean to pray according to God's will? And what does it mean to even seek the things that are above? Does that mean that we cannot pray for things that are on earth? It means that even in the way we pray for things that are on earth, we should be focused on God being glorified in those things. That our prayer life would be challenged in even the way that we pray. Even the way that we saw Paul pray for the believers. That they would know God that they would know his strength, that they would have wisdom on how to live. We'll see as a little bit, we're commanded to pray for others and that's how we're commanded to pray for them. But to pray in the spirit is actively to put on the Lord Jesus Christ, which scripture says to make no provision for the flesh, that my desire is to please him and I need him. Do you know what the opposite of praying in the spirit is? I alluded to it earlier. Praying in the flesh. What does that look like? Well, it means the end goal, what I'm really praying for, are my own selfish desires. I'm praying that I would be pleased at the end of this and not necessarily that God would be pleased. That's a prayer from the flesh. James would put it this way in James 4.3. He says, you ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. To pray in the spirit means we are focused Dialed in on God, help me live to bring you glory. Help me to have your strength to stand firm against the schemes of the enemy. We're to pray at all times. We're to pray in the spirit. But Paul also says here to pray with all prayer and supplication, which means we're to pray generally and we're to pray specifically. Now, 
as you look at that, I'm challenged by what does it mean to, to pray with all prayer and supplication? If you think of your prayer life, my kids used to have a game where when I spoke, they would have a bingo card and put some phrases that I would often say and see if they can nail it and say, yep, he said it again, got the bingo card. Does your prayer life have that issue where you could put certain phrases and things that you'll pray every time on that bingo card? To pray with all prayer and supplication means to be varied in our prayer. Jesus warned in Matthew 6, 7, he said, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they ask, or excuse me, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. So empty phrases. Instead, Paul says, all prayer. What does all prayer look like? Well, what does that mean? Variety. I think he alludes to it when he says this to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 6. He says, don't be anxious about anything, but in Everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. He spoke of prayer. He spoke of supplication. And he spoke of thanksgiving. Now, I know we have some young people in here. And we often teach our young people to pray according to the acronym ACTS. A-C-T-S. And some of you are going, what in the world is that? It's teaching them how to have varied prayer. To not just come back with the same thing every single time and have some rote line they come before God with, but to start with adoration. To, to praise God for who he is. Do you know when you start prayer and you start by being reminded of who God is and exalting him for who he is, that immediately you're humbled in his sight? <laughs> because if you don't do that, somehow we come before him thinking, hey, we're the center of the universe and hey, you've got to listen to me. But when you come to him in adoration and you praise him for who he is, you're reminded of his goodness and it slows everything down and puts it back into perspective that he is a good and glorious God, that he is a sovereign God. A is adoration. We also teach the kids to go to C to confession. Confession. Anybody here still sin? Don't raise your hand. Don't shout it out. The answer to that is yes. We all do. And what do you do with it? The Bible says that we're to continue to confess it to him, knowing that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But we're to come to him in confession. And think about the order there. Come first, remind of who he is. Exalting him for who he is, which means we are being humbled in his sight. As we're humbled in his sight, great time internally to see what he exposes in us and to make confession to him. And as we confess to him, the natural thing that would come out of that is a thankful heart. That we could continually come to our Lord and confess sin and ask for his strength not to return to it, to be able to repent from it. And so the T in that acts would be thankfulness to be thankful, and to begin thanking God for his abundance of goodness and grace. And I will tell you, if you spend time in varied prayer, whether it's this way or some other way, but if you're spending time in adoration and confession and thanksgiving, by the time you come to supplication and making your request known, they're, they're refined a lot better. 
They're directed a lot better. They're spoken of better. By that time, we are humbled before the presence of God to even know how we're to come to form, even ask of this thing. But ask the supplication, that specific prayer, maybe that urgent need, that we're to bring that to him. But by that time, we are now focused on who he is that we're coming before. We're now coming for him in, in reverence. We can bring our needs to him. We can call out to him. We see this throughout the Psalms. Let me give you a couple of them. I'll just read them off. Psalm 50, verse 15. God says, call upon me in the day of trouble and I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Psalm 70, verse 5 but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer, O Lord. Do not delay. We can go to the Lord with our needs. We can cast our cares upon him. As a matter of fact, he welcomes that. Paul says, go to him though with all prayer and all supplication, come with a varied form of prayer which means it's not the same thing. It's not the scratch record that just keeps clicking over and over and over again. Which sometimes happens when we say grace. Sometimes when we pray for our food, others around the table in their heads could be praying that prayer before you pray it because it's the same one you've been praying forever. So he says, pray with all prayers and all supplications. It's through prayer that we receive the strength of heaven, that strength that would guard us and protect us from the evil one. It's through prayer and supplication that we stay continually in communion with God. And so Paul says, pray at all times, pray in the spirit, pray generally and specifically. But he also says to that end, keep alert. Pray to be alert. Are times going pretty good in your life? Do you know when times are going good, what we often fail to do is seek the Lord. Things are smooth. Things are going easy. It's smooth sailing. And we fail to seek him. This whole passage is being, uh, being on guard. To seek him that you would have armor on so when the attack comes, you're ready for it. If your practice is when life gets kind of quiet and calm, I just kind of put my feet up and I stop seeking the Lord. Woe is you, because the tax coming. Paul says, pray to be alert. Pray to be on guard. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 14, verse 38. He said, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. He said, the spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. I asked you in a previous week, do you desire to please God? And I would say most of you, at least on a Sunday morning in church, say yes. That's why we're here. Right? We want to please him. Jesus said, though, we've got flesh that is weak. We need his help. He said, you can't do it on your own. You can't stay ready on your own. You must be readied in Christ because there is an enemy, the Bible speaks of, who prowls around like a lion. Think about that. And he's looking for the opportune time to pounce. And if we are not in communion with God and if we're not seeking his strength, guess what? It's an opportune time. And the enemy attacks. 
He's waiting for us to put our guard down. And the attack will come. That's why Paul says in our text this morning in verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand against the schemes of the devil. What does that mean? It means pray. What else does it mean? Pray. What else does it mean? Pray. Pray. Keep seeking him. Pray for God's help because his answer to your prayer is his army, uh, his armor. He clothes you with his very power that you can stand against the enemy. He will help you stand firm. He will help you to not yield to sin. John Bunyan made an interesting statement. Bunyan said this. He said, quote, prayer will make a man cease from sin or sin will entice a man to cease from prayer. You understand that? If your mind is on the Lord, seeking him for his strength and his will to be done, guess what is not on your mind at that moment? Seeking how to rebel against him. However, Bunyan makes the point that when we fail and we sin, then there's an enticement by the enemy to keep us from praying, to keep us from going back to the Lord. Guess what? That is one of the schemes the Bible speaks about of the enemy, to try to keep us out of communion with the Lord. We're to pray during that time. We're to pray when it's quiet, but we're to pray when there's temptation, and we're to pray when we fail. Do you understand the depths of the blood of Jesus in causing you to be one with him? That by what he has done on the cross, he welcomes us to come to him at all times, even in our sin. The enemy would have you stay away. How could I? How can I turn to God in this? I knew better. His grace is deeper. We are to pray, we are to seek him. Pray at all times. And pray to be alert. We pray at all times, pray in the spirit, pray generally, specifically, pray to be alert, but also pray persistently. He says here, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. Maybe some of you have memorized this. Jesus said these words. He said, and I tell you, which means this is the authority of Jesus speaking. Jesus, with his authority, says this. This is Luke chapter 9, verse uh, excuse me, Luke chapter 11, verse 9. Jesus says, and I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. He says, for everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. There's persistence in prayer. It is like the one who stands at the door. And we read in scripture about, go away. I'm in bed. Don't bother the kids. Please go away. I don't want to get up. Guess what? You get up and you go take care of it. 
Persistence in prayer is you keep coming to the Lord. And then you pray and you pray it in the spirit. You know this is the will of God, but you do not see the answer. You continue coming to him. You keep knocking. You keep seeking. You keep asking. You persist in prayer. So you're to pray at all times. You're to pray in the spirit, to pray generally and specifically, to pray to be alert, to pray persistently. Paul also in this very short amount of words tells us we're to be praying for other believers. He says, make supplication for all the saints. So self-examination real quick. How do you currently pray for other believers? How do you pray for them? I mean, what do you pray for? I know as a church, we have a, a prayer email that as those come in, we will respond and we'll pray individually for those. But how else are you praying for one another? What's the focus of those prayers? We tend to focus on things that are of this earth, things that are temporary, things that will fade away and pass away, and we oftentimes ignore things that are eternal. Paul's example of prayer in this letter was about things that are eternal. Praying spiritual prayers for others rather than just physical comforts for others. Do you know why we're so quick to pray for somebody who's in physical pain? I know why I am, because I don't like physical pain. And because I don't like physical pain, I feel for that brother or that sister, and I want to pray for them because I don't like pain. But that pain will come, and eventually, I mean, this is the only season that we're going to experience pain. You guys understand that, right? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is the only time that you're going to suffer. This is it. There is an eternity, which if we had a timeline, eternity doesn't even fit on a timeline. It is forever that there will be no suffering and no pain. And so if we believe that to be true, how much more should we be praying about people's eternity and then focusing on the Lord rather than their present comfort? I'm not saying don't pray for the comfort of one another, but I'm saying as you pray, be more devoted to praying for one another's eternal status, that they would live in a manner worthy of the cross, that they would stand firm against the wiles of the devil, that they would know victory that comes in Christ Jesus our Lord. That they would no longer be deceived by the enemy of their soul who would try to cause them to be tossed to and fro, but they would stand firm on the word of God. Pray for them that they would honor Christ in all things. Paul gives another example. I could pull out quite a few of them, but I'll give you a couple. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 11. Paul says this, he says, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. You hear that? The prayer is that God would make you worthy of the calling and that he would give you his power to do those things. Colossians chapter one, verses nine through 12, we read, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will. How beautiful is that to pray for one another? That you would know God's will in your life? He continues, that you would have the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, 
fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul was praying for something much deeper than their boo-boos. It wasn't just their ouchies. He was praying that they'd be strengthened in Christ, that they would know Christ, that they would grow in the knowledge of him who gave his life for them. And that because of that, they would grow in honoring him with their life and be empowered to do so. We saw that in the earlier prayers to the believers in Ephesus. He prayed that they would know God better. How should you pray for one another? Pray that one another would know God more. Pray for one another as as they open up the word, God, would you teach them more about yourself? Would you reveal yourself more to them? We also see Paul giving the example of praying for strength, that God would strengthen them to obey and to love and to live for God. So as you pray for one another, pray that way. God, would you strengthen them in Christ to stand firm, to love one another and to love you, Lord, to live for your glory. Paul commands us to pray for one another. So we're to pray at all times. We're to pray in the spirit. We're to pray generally and specifically. We're to pray to be on alert. We're to pray persistently. We're to pray for other believers. And lastly, in our text this morning, we see we're to pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel. This is the apostle Paul speaking here. Paul who knows Christ intimately, he knows Christ. Paul who knows the gospel very well. If any of us got to sit down and go through a knowledge test or a theology test with the Apostle Paul, we would lose drastically. Paul knows God and he knows the word. And yet, look what he says in verse 19. When asking for prayer, he says, pray also for me. That words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to. Now, I just find it amazing. This is the Apostle Paul who knows these things but says, I need prayer. I need prayer that I might have boldness and that I might articulate it through the power of the Spirit. Proclamation of the gospel is something that every Christian should be doing. Every single one of us have been commanded to share the good news with others. Do not stand up, but how many of you are very concerned when it comes to sharing the gospel? How many of you feel inadequate or not sufficient in yourself to be able to articulate the gospel? Look what Paul asks for. Prayer. We are to pray for one another. Just as Paul asked for prayer for him, pray for one another that we might be able to, through the power of the Spirit, have boldness to proclaim the mystery of the gospel to others. And that it would be empowered through the Spirit of God to the hearers. Nowhere in that prayer does he say you're going to be confident in yourself or you're going to get to the point where you just have courage and are able to do it. It's through prayer. It's through seeking the Lord that we would pray for one another, and I would go so far to say in our own prayer lives, be praying that we would have boldness to proclaim the gospel. So again, this short text, Paul says, 
pray at all times, pray in the spirit, pray generally and specifically, pray to be alert, pray persistently, pray for other believers, and pray for the bold proclamation of the gospel. Church, prayer is simply us acknowledging our helplessness. God desires that we humble ourselves before him. And coming to him in prayer is us humbling ourselves before him. It is a reminder that we are in constant need of God. It's an attitude of dependence on God. We need his strength. We need his wisdom. We need his protection. How often? All the time. All the time. I'm going to end this morning with a very lengthy quote, so tune in your ears. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this topic said this, quote, our ultimate position as Christians is tested by the character of our prayer life. It is more important than knowledge and understanding. Do not imagine that I am detracting from the importance of knowledge. I spend most of my life trying to show the importance of having a knowledge of truth and an understanding of it. That is vitally important. There is only one thing that is more important, and that is prayer. The ultimate test of my understanding of the scriptural teachings is the amount of time I spend in prayer. As theology is ultimately the knowledge of God, the more theology I know, the more it should drive me to seek to know God. Not to know about God, but to know him. The whole object of salvation is to bring me to a knowledge of God. I may talk learnedly about regeneration, but what is eternal life? It is that they might know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. If all my knowledge does not lead me to prayer, there is something wrong somewhere. It is meant to do that. The value of the knowledge is that it gives me such an understanding of the value of prayer that I devote time to prayer and delight in prayer. If it does not produce these results in my life, there is something wrong and spurious about it or else I am handling it in a wrong manner, end quote. Leave us with that this morning because we can seek knowledge as we should, to know God more. But as we see from Martin Lloyd-Jones, that theology, that understanding of who God is, should drive us to our knees to seek him more. Because he is the God who hears. Let's pray. God, what a marvelous and gracious thing that you are a God who hears that we don't talk to some object, some graven image that is made by human hands, but we speak to the uncreated one, the one who has existed for all eternity, the maker of heavens and earth, the one who has created us. That, Father, you give us access to all the resources of heaven to all the strength that we need to carry on in this life, all the wisdom that we need, all the knowledge that we need to bring you glory in every way. Father, as we conclude this 
passage on your armor and how we are to appropriate that armor, God, we see that we are to be a people of prayer. That prayer should never be an afterthought. Nor should prayer ever be just a token of a time that we get together. It's something that we do. But it should be something we're devoted to. God, as you continue to reveal yourself to us, would you draw us deeper in prayer, deeper in dependence upon you, deeper in communion with you, that we would understand what it means to pray at all times, that we would have you on the forefront of our mind, fully acknowledging our desperate need of you of all times. God, I thank you that everything that you have commanded us to do, you give us the resources to do it. I thank you that we can come boldly before your throne of grace. Thank you that we can come to you and receive help in a time of need. God, I pray for us as a church that we would be a church that is more devoted to prayer. That we don't see it as just one of those offshoot ministries, but we see it as something that is vital for our church. That within our homes, we would see prayer as something that is vital for our families. And that in our individual lives, we would see that it is vital in keeping us completely dependent upon you and humbled before you at all times. God, we thank you for your patience towards us. We thank you for your grace towards us. We thank you that you are the God that hears us. We pray these things in Jesus' name.